while now. I took a week off a few weeks ago to talk about just the, the current culture and what's going on in our community to, to spend some time in prayer. Uh, that threw us off a little bit. And so we actually are going to skip a commandment. We are. We're going to skip a commandment. Um, it is the commandment, uh, thou shall not commit adultery. Um, not that that's not significant because that really is a significant uh, commandment. Uh, but I talked just a few weeks ago, really, just uh, the last series when I did the seven deadly sins, I talked about lust. And it would have been basically the same message again. And so we'll link to the YouTube uh, message. Uh, if you want a little extra church uh, this week, you can watch that. Uh, but we're going to skip and, and move on to the next commandment. And so parents, you can breathe easy. Um, if you didn't realize we might have been doing uh, a certain topic, we're not now. And so we're going to talk about the next commandment uh, this week. And that is the eighth commandment. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Kind of like last week, uh, it seems like a pretty simple commandment. Uh, how many of you have ever been stolen from? Anybody? Wow, most of us. Yeah, most of us have been stolen from. I remember I had moved away to college. I went to Kansas City to go to school. Uh, I came back for the first time. I played football, and so I didn't get to come home the whole semester. I came home for Christmas, and the next morning I woke up, and someone had broken into my 95 GMC Sierra truck. They had broken my window out and stole my stereo and my speakers. It was a great welcome home uh, to me, uh, back to my mom's house. Uh, there's something about um, a thief. There's something about when someone steals from us, we hate it. I, I, I installed a stereo. I put new speakers in. I came back for summer. The exact same thing happened. The first day back from summer, my car broken into and my stuff was stolen. My wallet was stolen out of my car when I was, lived in California. Now my window was down. And so maybe that was a little more of, of my fault. Uh, but there's something about when someone steals from us. Right? There's this brokenness in our world. And we, we know that this happens. There's others who want to take. And, and we often think, well, this isn't us, right? I mean, as I said before, is there anything worse than a thief? I think most of us would think there is. You can read online. You can see community groups on Facebook. When there is a robbery or something happens, the way people are talked about in that situation is pretty extreme. And so this one, it would be really tempting to begin to think, well, this is about someone else. Right? We, we would think that, okay, as I talk, that this is about those people. But I want you to know that this message is for us. This is going to be about more than just taking possessions from someone else, stealing something that's not ours. It's interesting, even just in the last 24 hours, I've had two people, and I, I think it's because I have the title of pastor, I often get some interesting questions. Um, but in the last 24 hours, I've had two people ask me, is this stealing? And then they would tell me what the situation was, right? They didn't know this is what I was going to talk about this week, but they would come to me and say, okay, let me know, is this stealing? And so I thought we would just kind of simply play this game. Sometimes it's easy to answer this question, you know, robbing a bank, stealing a car, like those are, those are easy, but, but some of these might hit close to home. Uh, is it stealing if you use your neighbor's Wi-Fi? Is that stealing? I mean, maybe they don't have a password, so it's not your fault. They aren't protecting it, right? They're opening it up to everyone. But is that, is that stealing? Is it stealing if you log in and use someone else's Netflix? Ouch, right? Yeah, none of you do that. I know. I know none of you do. 
Uh, what about when you order water at a restaurant and you just get a little bit of soda, right? You just get a little bit of soda. My kids always accidentally hit the lemonade as they uh, get their water, right? Is, is that stealing? What about when you're hungry at the grocery store, right? That's the worst time to grocery shop, but if you're hungry at the grocery store, it's like a few grapes, right? It's the loose grapes. No one's going to buy the loose grapes anyway, so it's just a few little snacks. Is that stealing? Is that stealing? What if you pay for one movie and then you hit a second movie afterwards? As much as movies are, I'm not sure that is stealing, but um, I'm just kidding. It's stealing. No, I've never done that. I've never done that. Um, I remember when I was in college, Napster. Anyone remember Napster? It's kind of changed now, but for a long time, it was like illegally downloading music. Like everyone did it, and then eventually your computer would crash and you'd get some virus. But is that stealing? Is that stealing to take music illegally? What, what about taking a 45-minute lunch when your work has told you you get 30? Not working 100% for your employer. Is that stealing? I was giving my wife a hard time this week. We're, we're dealing with some insurance stuff with Kennedy when she hurt herself, and, and they're going to be sending us a check to pay off our, our bill and I was just giving her a hard time because I knew this is what I was talking about this week. And I said, what if we get the cash from our insurance and then we try and make a deal with the hospital and pay less than what the bill is and then we can just keep the extra, right? And, and she was like, what? And I was like, what? I mean, that, we're just being wise and we're doing what's best with our money. And she was like, I was like, well, do you think that's stealing? And this is what she said. She's like, I don't know if it's stealing, but it's dishonest. It's dishonest. And so a lot of times stealing isn't real cut and dry. Maybe stealing has more to be with being deceitful or, as my beautiful wife said, being dishonest or using deception. Like the, de the definition of stealing is to take without permission or to take what doesn't belong to you. And so here, here's the deal. In the Ten Commandments, God gives us these rules. He gives us this way of doing life, right? And the first four have to do with our relationship with God, and then the next six have to do with our relationship with one another. And so two weeks ago, we are, yeah, we, the last commandment we talked about, we talked about not murdering, right? And, and we would agree that we, we don't want to murder. And if we're going to set up a nation, if God's going to set up a nation, it's wise to tell his people, don't kill one another. But it's interesting, he, he then moves to adultery, and then he moves to stealing. And he says, look, if you're going to create a culture of trust, of peace, then you can't take from one another. You can't be defined as being takers. If we're going to create a, a community that is connected and that loves one another. And so we have these people who have been slaves. They've been slaves for hundreds of years. All they have known is slavery. All the stories their parents have told them are stories of slavery. And I'm sure that in that environment, and in, in the, the slavery there was much different than what we experienced in our, in our country. Uh, the slavery there would have been more, um, people would have given themselves over to slavery because they needed to work. Uh, it would have happened through war. It wasn't necessarily someone took advantage of someone or, or treated someone differently because of their race or culture. For what we're hearing, what we're seeing in the Ten Commandments, this was part of their job. They were slaves, and they weren't treated uh, uh, fairly. 
And so I wonder for them, they had to get when they could. They had to take what they needed. And maybe it was from each other. Maybe it was from those who owned them. But there was this idea that they had to be takers. And the first thing God sets up is, say, is to say, no, no, you're not going to do that anymore. You have a new way to live life. And so we, we know, we, we know in our own cultures, like if I ask you how many of you have a key to your house, right, you lock your door when you leave. And the reason you do that is because you protect yourself, right? You, you have these things that you have set up on your phone. A lot of you have a, a passcode on your phone because you don't want somebody to get on your phone and, and take your stuff or passwords and identity theft, right? Some of you have experienced that. That is stealing. And we know that feeling. And so we're like, we're going to protect ourselves as much as we can. And like I said earlier, there begins to be this lack of trust, maybe relationally, maybe in the business world. Like one of the best things, if you're in the business world, one of the best things someone can say about you is, man, they are honest. They're honest. They do what they say they're going to do. They work hard. And so we see the problem of, of stealing. This isn't new. And as I had you raise your hands, most of us have experienced this. But what if stealing is much bigger? Well, once again, what if God isn't just after our actions, right? What if he's also after the attitudes of our heart? Please listen. It's not simply about doing the right thing or not doing the wrong things. Jesus is always after our hearts. And this is another one of those where he is going to be after our heart. And there's so many characteristics that we could look at. But I want to point out three specific things that I think lead us to be takers, to take from other people. And I'm not going to necessarily define that. Each one of us knows what that looks like in our own lives, what that could, could be. And so I want, I want us to, to, to look at three specific things. And, and the reason why I think we get to this place of being takers is because a lot of us are just dissatisfied with life. We're unhappy. We think if we get more, if we get power, We'll find satisfaction, and, and then we'll feel better about ourselves. So more money, more time. We steal time from other people when we're late to things. We're stealing time from people. We steal time away from maybe our families, our children, our spouse. We want honor, and so we'll do things. We'll cut corners because we think it's going to get us somewhere. Intimacy. We steal. We, we take from others in an attempt, in an attempt to fill the void in our own lives. And so what are, what are a couple of those things? If you're taking notes, the first one I think is selfishness. Like if we're honest, we're, we're really selfish people, right? There's nothing. I did a wedding last night and every time I do a wedding, I'm always thinking in my mind, you're really going to find out how selfish you are when you get married, right? It points out some of those things we don't like about ourselves or when you have children, or maybe you start a new job, right? Some of those things, we realize we are selfish people. And so the Ten Commandments, God says, look, these first four are about loving God. I've talked about this, this vertical relationship, our relationship with God. The next six are about our relationship with one another. And so we cannot follow the first four and then abandon the next six. We cannot say that I'm going to love God and then not love my neighbor. It doesn't work. We're, as we said, we're, we're a liar at that point. We cannot say we love God if we are not going to love 
people. And so when we lose sight of who God is, when we lose sight of who God is in our lives and the role he plays, we then lose sight of our relationship with one another. It is easy then to be takers. It is easy to be selfish and only concern myself with what I need or what I want. And so sometimes the way this looks is if we take something, we think, well, they're not going to notice. Right? Some of those things I asked earlier, is that stealing? Some of those things are like, does that really matter? I mean, does it really matter if Netflix use, loses one more person? Right? We're paying for it. We're just going to share with does, does that really matter? Like, they, they owe me. Right? And so we, we take on this mentality of myself is more important than the other. Paul, in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. If we're going to be defined not as takers, we will then be defined as givers. Right? And so we have to see that the way we do this is not by looking at our own interests, but also to the interest of others. And so when we steal, when we take, the only person we really care about is ourselves. The second area I think we fall into when we begin to be takers or are defined by being takers is this lack of self-control. A lack of self-control. I, I just can't help it. I just can't help it. Uh, my, I'm coaching soccer, and so I see parents um, on, on my own team and other teams. Like we, we just get to this point where it's like, we, we just say things and we do things and it's like you're an out-of-body experience. Like I have no control over that. There's moments, even this year, where I've had to apologize to the referee for myself, not for my parents, but for myself, where I get so emotional, I get so involved, right? I feel like I have lost control. And so I do things or I say things. And so I have to make those things right. When we don't have self-control, it leads to certain places. In one of our games just a couple weeks ago, my, my daughter got hurt. It was actually the second time she got hurt in the game. And she goes down and she goes down really hard. And I'm, I'm trying to, to, to create this really strong young girl. And so I stay on the sideline. I let her lay there for, you know, what I felt like was just a second and see if she's going to get up and play. And then I notice that someone is running onto the field from the other side. And it looks a lot like my wife. And so, um, I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go out there since my wife is going to, uh, to come onto the field. And so I, I go out, and, and Kennedy is now on a knee, and my, my wife comes, and she gets down on a knee, and I'm on a knee, and we're kind of in this little huddle. And, and so I, I just very, in my mind, graciously and calmly uh, tell my wife, you can't run onto the field, right? And so we have this mini discussion with my daughter crying with her her knee hurt, uh, her leg hurt, and then parents and everyone around were having this discussion, and I, I said, look, you, you can't run on the field. And she said these words, I couldn't help it, right? I couldn't help it. My, my daughter was hurt, and I couldn't help it. And I was like, well, I just want to let you know, i got to take her off the field now. She can't play anymore, and she then gets upset. And it's just this idea. There are times where we think, I just can't help it. I just, this is who I am, and, and I'm just a taker, and I don't want to be a taker, and I can't help it. It's interesting, Paul gives this list of things called the fruit of the Spirit. He's basically saying when you follow God and the Holy Spirit is in us, there's something that is produced. There is something that comes in, God's presence, and there's something that goes out. Love, patience, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And then he says self-control. Having self-control in our life is a fruit of having God's presence in our life. And so self-control implies that there's this battle between ourselves that, that goes on. That the self produces these desires that we shouldn't satisfy all the time. But we actually need to have control over them. And so this might come into play in the business world. When you think, look, I just, I can't help it. These are the decisions I have to make. I know it might be dishonest, but this is just how our business works. Maybe it's relationally and it's what you've learned that you just take from people. And you're not giving back and you think this is just what I've learned and I can't control it. Uh, Paul also says this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified disqualified for the prize. What, what Paul is saying is Paul had a past. And Paul is saying, look, my life is not like that anymore. And if my life is going to change, if my life is going to look different, if I'm going to love God and love people, I have to have some discipline in my life. I have to train. I have to try to, to do what God has asked me to do. And then the last characteristic, and this is where we're going to spend a little bit of time and look at a story that Jesus uh, tells in this encounter is the characteristic of greed. Like if we want to get really honest, if we want to be really honest about what defines us as takers, it would be that we're greedy people. Not, not just greedy with our finances, not just greedy with our stuff, but maybe it is our time. We're greedy in the sense that we want what we want when we want it, and I'll do whatever it takes to get it. It is greed that will define us as takers. Uh, Paul says this uh, to a church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.28. This is, just listen to, to what he says in the second part in the instruction that he gives. He says this, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Isn't this interesting? Pa Paul is saying, look, you got to quit being a taker. And it's not that you quit being a taker because now God will be pleased with you or that you'll be right in, in God's eyes. No, no, no. Quit being a taker so that you can benefit other people. Right? We want to quit being takers because we want to be known as people who are givers and who are generous. You could say there's the negative commandment here. Just stop stealing. But I wonder if when God gives these, when God gives these to these people, it's actually what he's trying to say is, I'm after this heart and culture of generosity. So if you're going to create this new nation, if you're going to create this community, let it be defined by generosity. And if you're going to be defined by generosity, then you can't steal. You can't be people who are takers. We have to fight against an environment where people are only out to fulfill our own needs and desires, but to put others before ourselves. Tim Keller, who's a, who is pastored up in New York, he's written a lot of books. He says this, you haven't stopped being a thief when you have stopped taking. You have stopped being a thief when you start giving. 
So just real quickly, let's, let's look at this story. It's actually in uh, Luke 19. Luke 19. If you don't own a Bible, uh, I know I've looked at several scriptures. Uh, there's a red Bible around you somewhere. We'd love for you to have that. This is going to be an encounter that Jesus has with a guy named Zacchaeus. A guy named Zacchaeus. If you grew up in the church, I didn't know this song because I didn't grow up in church. Um, but when I had kids, I then learned the Zacchaeus song. And so if you've been in church, this is where that comes from. Uh, it's Luke 19, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pull out a few points. It says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest, be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Okay, just a few things that I want to point out. Maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe you didn't know this really well. Maybe it's, it's new to you. But, but who is Zacchaeus? Why, why does this character, why does it even matter? Why is there significance to this? Well, he is a chief tax collector. So he is what we would think of as an IRS agent. Not the most liked people. Um, Rome was taxing a city that they had taken over. So Rome comes in, defeats a city, and takes it over, and then begins to tax the people. But because the Roman officials didn't know the community and didn't know the people, they would find a local, and they would say, you're, you're responsible to get the taxes from your own people. And for doing this, you can charge however much more you want, and you can keep anything over that amount. The locals would then use Roman soldiers to get their money. They would take from their friends, their family, former classmates, from their neighbors. A tax collector didn't care about anything but themselves. They only cared about accumulating wealth. And can you think of a worse person who would steal from their own people for another community for another country, for another city that is ruining their lives. Not only is he a, a tax collector, but he's in Jericho, maybe one of the wealthiest areas in that part of the world. He was a wealthy man. He was not just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He was top of the list of tax collectors. He could have quite possibly been the most corrupt, evil, richest person in the government in that area. This is who Zacchaeus is. Now, he, he was not surprised when he went into this field. He knew what he was getting into. He knew this would alienate him from everyone. His selfishness, his self-control, uh, his lack of self-control, and his greed literally impacts every relationship that he had. He probably had no community, no relationships, and then he hears about Jesus, right? 
Now, this is interesting to me because oftentimes when we think about people coming to God, and it doesn't always work this way, but often people come to God when they're at the end of their rope. Right? They often come to God when they don't know where else to go or what else to do. And this is different if you were raised in the church, but for many of us, myself included, walking into a church building, figuring out who Jesus was, often comes when we're at our worst moments. Zacchaeus has everything going for him besides the fact that he doesn't have community. So why is he coming to Jesus? Well, he's heard about him. He's heard what Jesus is doing, and he has this openness to learning more. But just a side note, he can't get to him. Right? This is a part of the song. He's a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? This is what he's known as, is a short guy. And if you've ever been to a parade, it's always nice. If you have kids or short people, they can move to the front. But no one will let Zacchaeus in. You could say that they hated Zacchaeus. And it's interesting here that maybe it was even the followers of Jesus, those who were the crowd who had been uh, getting close to Jesus, they won't let him to Jesus. And so let, let's just, on, a, on, a, on kind of a different idea, we have to be aware, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have to be aware what our lives are doing if they are keeping people from getting near to Jesus. Are we keeping others from coming to follow him because maybe of our judgmental attitude, maybe because of our own hypocrisy? What could it be? For this, there was a guy, Zacchaeus, who wants to get to Jesus and no one will let him to him. And so he runs, makes himself look like a fool. He climbs a tree to try and get close to Jesus. And Jesus responds. Right? Jesus knows who Zacchaeus is. I don't know how. I don't know if there have been stories about this chief tax collector, but somehow Jesus comes and he calls him by name. And he says, Zacchaeus, I want to be with you today. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is, I, I, want to, I want to be your friend. I know you have nobody. I know what you've been doing. I know how you've hurt everyone around you. I know how your life has been defined as being a taker. But I want to be with you. I want to come to your house. I want to be in your presence. Can you imagine the feelings Zacchaeus would have? I mean, when's the last time Zacchaeus had a meal with anybody? When's the last time anyone wanted to be in his presence? And you have Jesus, God in the flesh, who says, I want to be with you. And so everyone begins to see they're shocked. Who was who Jesus going to spend time with? Does he know who this man is? is Jesus makes this first move to Zacchaeus and then Zacchaeus responds and it's interesting how does Zacchaeus respond he ends this moment says I do not want to be a taker anymore I don't want my life to be defined by my greed or my selfishness or my lack of self-control I don't want to be defined as a tax collector I don't want to be seen as someone who always wants to take I want to make it right now I want my life to be seen as someone who gives. So he stands up and he says, look, I'm going to give half of everything away. Half of everything I own right now, I'm going to give it away. And then anyone I took from, I'm going to pay them back. But not just pay them back, but four times the amount. Like, I don't know this for a fact, okay? I don't, I don't know for sure. I know Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. But I'm going to guess that if he actually does this, he'll probably be left with nothing. Yeah. At the end of this, 
is Zacchaeus gives half away, pays back four times to anyone he has taken from, he will be left with nothing. And Zacchaeus, I think, knows this. But something has happened in his heart. He has had a life change because Jesus saw him and called him out and said, I want to be with you. See, this is, I think, what happens for Zacchaeus. And I think this is what can happen in our lives. When we begin to fully understand who God is and what he has done in our lives, our response is to no longer be takers. Our response is to be people who are generous, who give. A Scottish pastor in the 1800s, uh, Robert Murray McShane, wrote this, the more you understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you, the more generous you become. become. You're always becoming more and more generous. So just like last time I said, I think forgiveness is really the antidote for our anger, right? We said anger leads to hate, which then leads to murder. And if we want to begin to, to solve that, we start with forgiveness. I really think if we're going to deal with our greed, if we're going to deal with being takers, then the antidote for this is generosity. Is generosity. And so his attitude and his actions in the moment, right then, begin to de- reflect this meeting he's had with Jesus. And so as we end, what, what's the question that you have to begin to ask yourself today is this. Are you characterized and known by others as someone who gives or someone who takes? Are you known as someone who is generous or someone who is always taking? Taking from their family, taking from their friends, taking from the community, or is it someone who is giving back? And so three really, really quick questions to ask. Do you give your first to God? Right? If we're going to be generous people, this is, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is, I'm talking to you guys today. Do you give your first to God? And if you grew up in church, you're going to think, oh, okay, I know what this is about. But, but listen, that this is not just about your money, as we talked about earlier. This is about your life. So do you give your life to God first? And then you understand that what you have left is much more than what you started with. Like, it's not just your your pocketbook, but it's your time, it's your energy, it's your resources. What God can do with us if we will give ourselves to him first, not just with what we have left, right? Which leads us to the second thing. Are you intentionally being generous? Like, we like random acts of kindness. I love to read when people have these random acts where no one expects it, and you just, in the spur of the moment, you're kind. But I think generosity is not defined by randomly being generous, but it's about intentionally living generously. So do you plan how you'll be generous? And then finally, is there a joy that comes in your life because you're generous? Like when you volunteer somewhere outside of this building, when you mentor or you tutor or you lead a Bible study at Missouri Hills or you volunteer in our kids here, you greet at the door, you do give financially to what God is doing here. Is there this joy that happens in your life? Because I think, I think for Zacchaeus here, he has experienced joy for the first time in a long time. I don't think, I don't think that that Zacchaeus makes this decision. I don't think it's an emotional decision where he's like, yeah, I'm going to give half of everything and I'm going to pay everyone back four times the amount. And then everyone leaves and Zacchaeus is like, ah, man, what did I just do? I think Zacchaeus says, man, this is the life that I want to live. I want to be defined as someone who gives and not takes. Uh, Greg's going to come up and, and lead us. And as he does this, I just want to say this to you. God has not withheld anything from us. 
right? The, the reason I think we are called to live generously is because God has been so generous to us that as Zacchaeus is invited to be in the presence of God broken, he's still a tax collector. You and your brokenness and your deceit and your dishonesty and the mistakes you've made, God is calling you to him. And he doesn't withhold grace, or forgiveness, or mercy, or his presence. He gives it abundantly to us. And so if you've never received that, I pray that today maybe is that day. Where you, like Zacchaeus, have found yourself in a space where you could find community and meaning. Not because of us, but because who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to give to us. Some of you maybe have made that decision in the past. You've been following Jesus and you've never been baptized. Uh, we have one uh, elementary age girl who's going to be baptized here in a couple weeks on October 15th. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, would you just begin to pray about that? Would you begin to talk to me? Oftentimes, as adults, we think, oh, I, I can't do that. I, I can't at this point get baptized. I've said this story before. I became a pastor and had never been baptized. I was a junior high pastor. I was afraid of being in front of people, and I was going into ministry, uh, and I was like, I can't, I can't be baptized because they're going to ask me to speak. And so I literally go into ministry as a 23-year-old, never had been baptized. And I thought, I, I've, I've got to make this right. I have to publicly confess that I'm a follower of Jesus. I have to let my community know that this is what I want my life to be about. And so if you've never been baptized, we'd love to celebrate that with you. Uh, October 15th. You can ask me questions. You can send me an email. Give me a phone call. Uh, but let, let's talk about that if you've never been baptized. But in this moment, as we sing this song together, this is a declaration of what we want in our lives, individually, but also as a community, that we would be defined by our generosity, that we are people who give and not take. Would you stand as I pray? God, thanks that you haven't withheld anything from us. Uh, that you give freely, you give abundantly everything that we need. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be people who respond to that, who understand your love in our lives, and our response would be to love others. And one of the ways we do that is by being people who give, that we understand that our life is not our own, that we will quit doing things out of selfish ambition and our own self-interest, and we'll look to the needs of our neighbors, to our church family, to our community, to our world, and we will say, what can we do? God, would you put that on our hearts today? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.